A former NFL player has his career destroyed by a false rape allegation. The media used the Allen, Texas mass shooting to broaden the definition of white supremacy. And Joe Biden pledges to veto more border security. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Change the way you buy meat this summer. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code Ben for 30 bucks off any box. That's GoodRanchers.com. Promo code Ben today. One of the great evils of our time is the substitution of group justice in favor of individual justice. Now, the word justice really does not need any sort of modifier. Justice always is individual in nature. There is no such thing as sort of group justice. Social justice is in and of itself an undermining of the notion of individual justice. If something bad happened to you on a personal level, you should have justice because you were the one damaged. If you did harm to someone else, justice should come for you because you did harm for somebody else. But we have a tendency in a very large, diverse society with nationalized media to turn everything into a referendum on groups in general. And this has actually parlous consequences for a wide variety of people and, yes, a wide variety of groups. Today's example comes courtesy of a prosecutor who has now decided that the former Buffalo Bills punter named Matt Ariza was not even present during an alleged gang rape. Now, the reason that this is important is because it is tip of the spear is indicative of a broader ideological problem that now plagues the West. And that is that when we see individual cases, instead of seeing those individual cases as individual cases, instead of investigating the individual circumstances of each case, and then trying to broaden that out to say, what are the policies that could theoretically have impacted this individual case? Instead, we label the person a part of a group, and then we make group judgments based on that individual And we try to broaden out the groups that are bad in order to include all of our enemies. And this leads, of course, to further political polarization. And this is just a perfect example of this sort of thing. So according to Yahoo Sports, last August, just days after earning the starting job as the Buffalo Bills punter, rookie Matt Ariza was the subject of a civil lawsuit alleging that he and two San Diego football teammates participated in the gang rape of an intoxicated 17-year-old girl. While little was known publicly, San Diego police had spent nearly 10 months on the case before forwarding it to the DA without a recommendation for prosecution. The bill said they knew about the incident, investigated it, and decided to employ Ariza anyway. The graphic allegations in the civil lawsuit, however, created a public frenzy. It included a claim that during an October 15th, 2021 party at a home near the SDSU campus, Ariza led the girl into a bedroom where at least three other men waited. Once inside, Ariza threw the girl onto the bed face first. According to the lawsuit, the girl went in and out of consciousness while suffering through the horrific gang rape, quote unquote. It lasted an hour and a half, according to the lawsuit, before she stumbled out of the room bloody and crying, in part because multiple piercings had ripped through the skin during the attack. Within just a couple of days of these allegations being made public, the Bills cut Ariza, who due to his record-breaking NCAA career and an 82-yard punt in a preseason game, had already earned the nickname Punt God. It was a big story across the country when this happened. The Buffalo general manager, Brendan Bean, he said, we think it's the best move for everyone to move on from Matt and let him take care of the situation. He's still out of football, despite prosecutors announcing on December 7th, 2022, that after conducting a 124 day investigation, they would not press any criminal charges in the case. Now, a fuller picture is emerging. What are they finding? Well, apparently there's a 200 plus page transcript of 100 minute meeting obtained by Yahoo Sports, where a deputy DA offered a detailed explanation to the girl and her attorneys, perhaps most notably. The DA's office concluded that Ariza couldn't have led the girl into the alleged gang rape because he had left the home already at 1230 a.m., an hour prior to when evidence suggested the alleged gang rape would have occurred. He wasn't even at the party anymore, according to the deputy district attorney, who's a woman, Trisha Amador. Later, that deputy district DA stated of the timeline of events, all I know is at that point, suspect Ariza is gone from the party. Additionally, prosecutors told the girl that video recordings of the incident in the bedroom made it impossible to determine, let alone prosecute anyone, on whether there even was a gang rape at all that night. 
rather than simple consensual sex with the other men. In looking at the videos on the sex tape, I cannot pr prove absolutely any forcible sexual assault based on what happened, according to Amador. The accuser's attorney could not be reached for comment to Yahoo Sports. The civil lawsuit is presumably going to continue. The lawyer did say that the witness who prosecutors based their opinion that Arise was not present on was a quote-unquote buddy. There are apparently 35 witness interviews, and now it has they've come to the conclusion that there was effectively no gang rape at all. Ariza, whose life has been paralyzed since being named in the civil lawsuit, hopes it's enough for NFL teams to take a second look. He and two other players named in the suit vehemently deny any gang rape, knowledge the girl was below California's age of consent, or whether she was intoxicated. He said any sexual contact was consensual. Now, the local prosecutors are making his case for him via recording that not every jurisdiction provides. Now, again, the exculpatory evidence came from a number of short videos of the encounter between the girl and two or three men in the bedroom. Timestamps show it occurred about 1.30 a.m. Citing a witness and other information, prosecutors concluded that Ariza had already left the party at 12.30 a.m. Now, again, witness interviews from the party said the girl did not appear to be drunk at the time. Other witness said that the girl was telling people that she was 18. A witness who was at the house gave a statement saying that at least one point at the party, you made a statement telling people at the party you were 18, said the lawyer to the accuser. Another witness at the party says they specifically heard you say that you were 18. So again, it seems like this story is just nonsense, but it ruined this guy's life. Because Matt Ariza, again, this, this is a person who's slated to make millions and millions of dollars in the NFL. He was going to be the best punter in the NFL. And he was basically kicked out of the NFL for what now appears by all available evidence to be a pretty substantive False rape allegation, a false gang rape allegation. Why does this have anything to do with group justice? Because the reason that Ariza was originally booted is not because people decided to treat his case as an individual case. It was a stand-in for all Me Too incidents. This is what we now do with every single public incident that falls within a set media narrative. We determine that this incident is indicative of a broader issue that implicates society and therefore we must make an example of this person. It doesn't matter this person was not convicted in a court of law. It doesn't matter prosecutors never even brought a case in a court of law. It doesn't matter that the evidence stacks up against the accuser in this particular case. We have made a decision as a society that the minute that an accusation is made against a man, we are basically going to destroy his life. Now, again, if a person is convicted of that accusation, his life should be destroyed. If that person actually commits an act like this, his life should be destroyed, but based on the allegation alone, because the idea is that America is a white supremacist patriarchy, and therefore, the only way to break down the patriarchy is to break a few eggs. And if that means that allegations alone are sufficient to condemn somebody, whether it is Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court or whether it is Matt Ariza, then we just go for it. That is the important thing. Now, of course, the same logic doesn't apply to valued members of the left, valued members of the political left. We sort of, we, we demand full evidence in those particular cases, or we still allow them to go on the speaking tours like Bill Clinton. But if you are not a, a member of a protected class, then obviously we use your intersectional identity and lack of intersectional bona fides as an excuse to go after you on a personal level. And this is how you destroy somebody's life. The way you destroy somebody's life is you make an example of them based on a preset narrative. That is true whether you're talking about Matt Ariza. It's true whether you're talking about this Marine in the Jordan Neely case. The attempt to railroad this, this Marine in the Jordan Neely case is going to be extraordinary. We've seen it over and over and over again. People who go to jail based on bad allegations and a bad fact pattern because it fits a narrative. And that narrative must be upheld at all costs. Now, these aren't the only types of people who are destroyed by the narrative. The other types of people who are destroyed are people who 
are allowed to pursue a life of criminality because of a group narrative. I have a story on that in just one second. First, summer is just around the corner. That means the grilling season has finally arrived. Yes. Like most Americans, you're probably not wild about spending half your annual salary buying meat at the grocery store, especially considering that 85% of it comes from overseas. Well, here is some good news for you. When you subscribe to Good Ranchers, you're not only going to get high quality, amazing meat at an excellent price, you will also get meat that comes from American farms and ranches. Inflation is on the rise. Good Ranchers is locking in your price for two years. Imagine if you could have locked in your price two years ago, you would have saved hundreds of dollars. You need to change the way you buy meat. Now is the perfect time of year to do so. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Use code BEN for 30 bucks off any box. With Good Ranchers, you can rest easy knowing that you're feeding your family with 100% American, locally sourced meat delivered straight to your door. That is promo code BEN at GoodRanchers.com for 30 bucks off your order. GoodRanchers.com, promo code BEN. Good Ranchers is American meat delivered. By the way, I know their meat's amazing because they actually went out of their way to make me a kosher steak. One of the best steaks I ever had in my entire life grilled right before me. It was delicious. Again, head on over to GoodRanchers.com. 30 bucks off your order when you use promo code BEN. Okay, so the, the people whose lives are destroyed by the group justice narrative are not merely the people who are targeted by the media for being excised from American society on the basis of allegations alone or a bad fact pattern. And it doesn't matter if the fact pattern fits, we just shove it into the narrative box. Whether we were talking about Derek Chauvin in the George Floyd case, where there was not even an allegation of racism, but this became the basis of widespread accusations about police racism across the country. That does not matter. Derek Chauvin had to go to jail for the rest of his life based on a bad fact pattern. The same thing is happening, obviously, on a minor scale with Matt Ariza. It's probably going to happen with this Marine in New York City. He committed the unpardonable sin of attempting to protect fellow passengers on the subway system, but he did so in New York City, a place where the narrative must be maintained. But those aren't the only people who are damaged by the dedication to, quote unquote, social justice at the expense of individual justice. The other people who are damaged are people who actively should be punished for their crimes and then are left on the streets to commit more crimes. And it usually ends very poorly for them. So there's an amazing piece over at Barry Weiss's publication, thefreepress.com, thefp.com, called Is Justice Still Blind in Canada? Because this is not just an issue in the United States. It also happens to be an issue throughout the Western world. Quote, Edward Smith didn't think the color of his skin had anything to do with it. He was 23. He'd come to Canada in 2005 from West Africa. Now he lived with his mother and sister in Edmonton, the capital of the Western province of Alberta. Racism didn't make him take part in an armed robbery of an Airbnb in July 2019, he said. He decided on his own to help his cousin who had told Smith that people staying at the Airbnb had robbed him and that he was trying to get his money back. Smith agreed to help, but he didn't want any guns involved, so they compromised. He'd bring a gun, it would be unloaded. Things didn't go as planned. Smith was arrested. At his trial, Smith pled guilty to two charges, theft and robbery with a firearm filed against him. Since Smith is black, he also submitted an Impact of Race and Culture Assessment, or IRCA. This is a pre-sentencing report in which black and racialized Canadians can demonstrate how systemic racism led them to commit their crime. The logic behind Smith's IRCA was clear. As a black man, it was assumed he had been subjected to a great deal of hate and that the hate had limited his job opportunities, housing opportunities, opportunities to build a meaningful and law-abiding life. Dunia Noor, the activist who wrote Smith's IRCA, told me the report was meant to help the judge appreciate the convict's background and history. So the author of this piece, woman named Rupa Subramanya, she says the, she actually got a hold of this particular form that you're supposed to file in Canada when you're convicted of a crime talking about your difficult childhood and how racist Canada is. I obtained Smith's IRCA from Smith himself. Oddly, the four-page report cites no concrete instances of racism, no violence, no untoward remarks, no employers or schools that turned Smith down because of his skin color, not even microaggressions. It also fails to mention that in a separate incident in January 2018, Smith was arrested and charged with theft, robbery, and kidnapping. What it does say is Smith had a rough childhood and adolescence. The refugee camp in Ghana 
his father's absence, immigrating to Canada, his early run-ins with the law. It further noted that Edward identifies as an African-Canadian who is of Liberian heritage and he has a feeling of disconnection with his culture. What did the judge do? Well, in February 2020, after six months in prison, he was allowed to go free with court-appointed supervision. If he had been white, he would have been looking at eight years behind bars. So if you're white and you commit armed robbery in Canada, eight years behind bars. If you are a black immigrant to Canada and the country takes you in and you can't even cite any instances of racism, six months. I didn't face racism, Smith said. He's now a sales representative of a debt collection company. He says, it was my only way out of the situation and I took full advantage. Now again, this has become the, the way that criminal justice is now done in Canada. Quote, Canada is at the forefront of a broader movement that seeks to reimagine police prisons and the nature of justice. A movement that gained much greater momentum and cohesiveness in the wake of George Floyd's May 2020 killing in Minneapolis. In the United States, the new thinking was reflected in the push for decarceration and the rise of progressive district attorneys. On top of that, a handful of states sought to impose justice from the top down. Virginia and Washington barred police from using chokeholds and no-knock warrants. Minnesota adopted a law meant to make police more accountable. California enacted the Racial Justice Act, enabling anyone convicted of a crime to challenge that conviction on the grounds of racial bias. But Canada has now insisted that judges explicitly consider race when meeting out justice. And all of this is garbage and it's going to lead to more crime. To Nadia Robinson, the idea that the man who had killed her partner should be given a lesser sentence because of his race felt surreal, she said. Robinson's partner, Andy Nevin, had been riding his bike on the morning of June 28, 2015, when he was killed in a hit and run. In court, the driver testified he'd been out all night at a wedding. It was almost 6 a.m. He was speeding home, going 20 miles over the limit when he nodded off. He came to and he heard a thud. When he got home, he covered his Ford F-250 pickup truck in a tarp, and then he had the hood and side panel changed. He knew what had happened, but it doesn't matter because he was arrested. And then he noted that he'd immigrated at age seven from Dominica in the Caribbean. He claimed he was bullied at school. At the trial, the judge said she believed the defendant, quote, wanted to do the right thing, but did not have the confidence to do so out of fear. And she said, I also accept this fear was likely heightened as a result of, mis of Mr. St. Hillier's experience with racism as a black person growing up in this community. Ultimately, it confounds St. Hillier guilty of obstructing the police investigation into the collision, but added that his experiences earlier in life were mitigating factors. It didn't seem to matter that there were no details of actual racism suffered. He could have wound up spending two years behind bars. Instead, he got 100 hours of community service and left the courtroom a free man. He hadn't even fire, filed an IRCA at the time. All of this is, of course, perverse and evil. And it also leads to situations like the situation faced by Jordan Neely. There are two victims when you look at group justice. One victim is, of course, the person who takes the law into his own hands in self-defense and then is condemned on the basis of his race. The other person is the person who's out on the street repeatedly because of his race, because that person doesn't fit the crime stats that New York wishes to purvey. And so they just keep letting him out over and over and over and over. Group justice is inherently bad. And yet it's being sought now all over the country, most predominantly in California, where they are now considering $1.2 million slavery reparations for every black person in California. Get to that momentarily first. The central banks right now are starting to move away from the U.S. dollar. They're worried about inflation, deficit spending, our insurmountable national debt. The price of gold is going up. There's a reason for that. People are looking for a safe haven. There is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political, and economic upheaval dating all the way back to the Bible. That would be gold. I have gold from Birch Gold in preparation for uncertain economic times, and you should do the same. Diversification is just a smart strategy. You can own gold in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That is correct. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. The best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Protect your savings with gold the way that I did. 
Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. Again, text Ben to 989898 today and get started. Smart strategy to diversify away from a lot of the asset classes that are affected by central bank policy. Gold is the big way to diversify. Text Ben to 989898. Get all of your information and then talk to my friends over at Birch Gold about investing. Again, 989898. Text Ben to that number. Alrighty, so in California, the notion of group justice is reaching its logical conclusion. According to the Wall Street Journal, a nine-member committee created by Governor Gavin Newsom and his Democratic legislator, Lacher, voted Saturday to recommend the state make cash payments to black Americans who claim to be descendants of slaves. I guess you don't even have to be, you know, any, and no verification procedure. Although California's 1849 constitution banned slavery. Remember, California was a free state. The committee claims the state government was complicit in the enslavement of blacks in southern states. The committee says blacks are still suffering the lingering effects of slavery, as well as policies like over-policing. The panel recommends payments of $2,352 for each year slavery descendants lived in California during its war on drugs from 1971 to 2020. So apparently the war on drugs was, we're now going to say, was specifically about imprisoning black people as opposed to being, you know, a war on drugs. Slavery descendants would also get $3,366 for every year they lived in the state between 1933 and 1977 when housing discrimination allegedly occurred, as well as $13,619 for every year they were a California resident to compensate for health disparities between blacks and whites. All told, as many as 2 million black Californians could be eligible. The total cost could be as much as $1.2 million a person, $800 billion overall. There are some arbitrary distinctions. If you're a black immigrant, you can't apply. Japanese Americans, if you were put into an actual internment camp during World War II in California, nope. Chinese Americans, who actually, the California State Senate, as early as like the 1880s, was discriminating against Chinese immigrants, nothing. Native Americans, nothing. So this is the way that California is now thinking. Again, you think in terms of group justice, and what you end up with is individual injustice. So just to get this straight, the way that it's supposed to work is that California, a, a historically free state, is going to make people who were never enslavers pay people who were never slaves. That all in the name of group justice. And naturally, when you think in terms of group, what you end up with is full-on tribalism. So there are a myriad of clips of people beating each up, beating each other up over race. Unfortunately, they are disproportionately black on white. Okay, the, 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 the media narrative is typically that interracial violence is white on black. That is not true. Interracial violence to whatever extent it exists, and it does exist, but not nearly to the, the same level as intra-racial violence. But interracial violence is typically black on white. Well, this sort of video tends to emerge, and it demonstrates how group justice thinking telescopes down into individual instances. It's really ugly. So This is, this is going viral on TikTok. It is a video of um, a young black man confronting a young white man uh, apparently, the young white man, we have no idea what the context was, said the N-word. He could have been saying it in a rap, totally unclear why. He's attempting to apologize to the young black man, the young black man who is obviously sort of being egged on by the people surrounding. Because, again, group justice must be upheld. The group must be validated. Uh, starts beating the living hell out of this kid. Tell me you're sorry, What's you sorry for, What's you sorry for, Why, Why are you sorry for that, It's disrespectful as to me and my whole people, all these here, all these right here, bro. And you're talking crazy, bro. Like, that's crazy for you to say. You know that's not okay, bro. You know that's why you say that. Why you say that? You know that's okay. I'm sorry, this is it's, it's just madness. 
It's just madness. But this is what happens when the when the values of group justice tribalism predominate. They're telescoped down into individual instances. It gets really, really ugly. What's amazing mostly about that clip is that the young black man who is beating up the young white man who's attempting to apologize to him repeatedly, he keeps using the N-word and telling the young white man why he can't use the N-word. Okay, all of this is really, really bad for American society. There is a reason. This is what happens, frankly, when you get away from the individual biblical values that matter. Leviticus 19.15 makes this very clear. It's a very weird section of Leviticus where it's talking about the qualities you're looking for in a judge. And to modern ears, it sounds strange because what the Bible actually says is that you shall not do injustice in judgment. Okay, what, what does that mean? It says you shall not be partial to the poor, nor shall you honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So what, what exactly does that mean? Again, it goes out of its way to suggest that you are not allowed to pervert justice in favor of the poor. You're not allowed to use group distinctions in order to determine whether justice is, is carried out. Now, the, the, this notion that because you're a member of a victimized group that, that you, you get to lie in a rape case or because you're a member of a victimized group, you get to be let off the hook if you are a, a victimizer. It, all of this is garbage. And a biblical society used to believe this. Again, th this, this notion that you are supposed to judge everybody fairly is an individual notion, but we are a group justice society and the results of that are really, really ugly. That also means that when we see individual instances, we tend to immediately go to those group labels and broaden those out to encompass our enemies so we can condemn people who have no involvement with an individual incident in order to indict large segments of society. We'll get to that in one moment. First, look around your house right now. Okay, so your house, it could look better. I mean, let's be real about this. You did a good job. Like you redid the floors, you repainted it all. But there's something about your house that doesn't look right. You know what it is? It's the way that light is coming in the room. You know why? Because those window coverings you have are the garbage. You need to get rid of them. You need to go to blinds.com. Blinds.com is the number one online retailer of custom window coverings with over 40,000 five-star reviews. You can measure and install it yourself or have blinds.com take care of it with local professionals. There's no showroom, no retail markets. No matter how many you order, installation is just one low cost. If you don't have an eye for design, blinds.com experts are always available to help choose the style and color right for you. Everything they sell is covered by their perfect fit and 100% satisfaction guarantee. With hundreds of styles and colors to choose from, Blinds.com is sure to have perfect treatment for your windows. Shop Blinds.com, save 45% off select products. That is 45% off select products right now at Blinds.com. And when you check out online, don't forget to tell them you heard about Blinds.com. From the Ben Shapiro Show, rules and restrictions may apply. That is Blinds.com, save 45% off select product today. Blinds.com. And let them know that you heard about them from this show. Okay, so... This takes us to this awful and evil Texas mass shooting, this Allen, Texas mass shooting. So new, new details are emerging about the shooter. And the shooter appears to be a mentally ill white supremacist nut. That, that, that is the best way to describe this person. We don't do names of mass shooters on the show. This is a person of Hispanic descent, 33 years old. What we do know is when I say that he's a nut, I say that advisedly because Actually, this person was discharged from the army after like three months. According to the U.S. Army spokesperson, this person entered the regular army in June 2008. He was terminated three months later without completing initial entry training. Why? Presumably because the guy was crazy. Okay, and so people have been going through his various writings online. They uncovered on some obscure Russian website with zero followers, a profile in which this person wrote a bunch of sort of strange and conflicting posts some of which he cited people on the right. He, he, he suggested that he had watched libs of TikTok, but he also hated Jews, which is weird because Chaya Rechek, who is libs of TikTok, is an Orthodox Jew. She's a Chabadnik. He, he suggested that 
that he had been inspired by by watching Tim Pool. Tim Pool is is not even right wing. So it's a very strange take. But the person obviously is crazy pants. I mean, like this person is obviously a nut job. That doesn't mean that his philosophy isn't evil or that he can't sincerely believe white supremacist philosophy because he is evil. But to pretend this person has no mental illness and is a perfectly rational person who sort of fell into white supremacy as a Hispanic person is uh, is pretty far fetched. And yet that's exactly what the media are now trying to promote. Why? Because their goal is this. This shooter, they're going to say this Hispanic male who obviously is a nut because he also says that he is very much in favor of the trans man who shot up a Christian school having done that, which is, again, a very weird take from a quote unquote white right wing white supremacist. Anyway, this person is being treated as indicative of not only white supremacy, but all of right wing thought. And this is the game that we play. Again, when we think in terms of groups, what we do is we say, okay, which how do I make this person, this bad person, part of the opposite group? How do I do that? Instead of looking at the individual circumstances, saying this person is not part of a group, this person is an individual, and this individual has this problem. This individual was involved in this idea. This idea is bad. Instead of doing that sort of stuff, we innately broaden it out so we can condemn everybody by association. We can smear everybody by association. So here's what we know about the shooter at this point. He apparently wore a patch that said RWDS, that stands for Right Wing Death Squad, that phrase has been recently popular among white supremacists and far-right extremist groups who experts said sometimes wear the slogan on their clothing. Apparently, this person's social media appeared to show an embrace of white nationalism and neo-Nazi views as well. The profile picture is a smiley face emoji with a Hitler-style mustache. The site also contains a picture of body armor with that patch. Apparently, this person tattooed on himself a, um, a giant swastika as well as the SS insignia on his arm. This person appears to be among what researchers described as an increasingly visible number of people with Hispanic backgrounds who espouse far-right white supremacist views. Tanya Hernandez, a Fordham University law professor, says anti-blackness and white supremacy are a global phenomenon. Within Latin America and the Caribbean, there have long been hierarchical societies in which whiteness is prized and white supremacy is viewed as a laudable goal. For Latinos to have any connection to their cultural heritage, the idea of anti-blackness and white supremacy is not a new idea. Okay, that, that may well be. I mean, that, that, that's certainly possible. But here's where this ends up. So Philip Bump, when I say this, there's an attempt now to broaden this out to include everybody who is remotely on the right, that's exactly what's happening. So Philip Bump has a really quite terrible piece over at the Washington Post. And it's called Why Non-White People Might Advocate White Supremacy. And so he starts with one fact that is true, and then he goes to another one that's false. The first one that is true is that the notion of white is malleable. There are a lot of people who now consider themselves white who wouldn't have considered themselves white one generation ago. He says, Hispanic Americans often find themselves at the blurry edges of whiteness. How Hispanic Americans are considered by others is often centered on skin color, but also context, where and how that consideration is taking place. But self-identification is also complex because Pew, for example, found that Hispanic identity fades over time in the United States. And that's true. But here is where it starts to uh, go wild for Philip Bump. He says, white supremacy is also about power. And he, then he names uh, he named Nick Fuentes, who is a white supremacist. We've talked about him on the show. He also names the head of the Proud Boys named Enrique Tarrio, the son of immigrants from Cuba. And he says, what they advocate is not that Hispanics should be subjugated to white Americans. Instead, it's often about bolstering structures of power that largely benefit whites. It's also about dominance, of course, often manifested as anti-Semitism or hostility to immigration. White supremacy is often rooted in personal insecurity. And so here is, the, there's this one sentence right there that is, the, um, that is the, the giveaway for what Philip Bump is trying to do. When he said, it's about bolstering structures of power that largely benefit whites. 
This is now the structural racism argument that the left likes to make. Because according to the left, virtual, virtually all systems of American life are structures of power that largely benefit whites. Therefore, if you wish to uphold systems of power in the United States, like, you know, the United States government, balance of powers, the Electoral College, the Constitution of the United States, individual rights, this means that by nature you are a white supremacist. Right? This is going to be the effort. The effort is always on, on part of the media to extend perverse logic of certain people out to encompass entire groups of people that you just don't like. And that's really gross. That's really wrong. Anna Navarro was doing some of this yesterday. Here's Anna Navarro on The View suggesting that anyone can be a white supremacist now. So we all have to remember that the head of the Proud Boys, his name is Enrique Tarrio. The Proud Boys is a white nationalist group. Look, being Hispanic or being black does not, or being anything, does not make you immune from being racist, from being radicalized, from being a white supremacist, from being evil, from being homicidal. And we are seeing it over and over again. Okay, so, okay, let, let's, let's actually examine that for a second. So I, I agree that ideology can be held by anybody. I mean, in, in this particular case, it's very strange, obviously. And, and this person obviously had some mental defects because, he, again, the evidence being that he was discharged from the army after three months. You know how, you know how screwed up you have to be to be discharged from the army after three months when they're short on recruits by like tens of thousands? But OK, are we going to judge? So let's judge people on the basis of their own individual ideas. That's fine. I'd prefer to look at people that way. But that's not actually how people in the media wish to look at people. What they wish to do is, again, broaden it out to then include everybody. All Trump supporters are supporters of January 6th. All right-wingers, people who watch Tim Pool, are just like this guy. And that's gross. And that logic, of course, never applies to the other side of the aisle, where you're supposed to look at everything in individual isolation. That's the entire goal. The, the reason, the, the narrative is the reason why certain shootings get talked about in the United States and certain shootings do not. The reality is we should have one rule for all the shootings. We should have one rule for all the shootings. When are they relevant? Maybe when the numbers reach a certain point. And it's just an even, it's an even level of coverage for all of those things. So when there is a gangland shooting in Chicago and it kills eight people, we should give it exactly the same coverage as when there's a mall shooting in Allen, Texas. But we don't. Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about this and she said, we really don't have a rule for which shootings we talk about and which ones we don't. Well, they do have a rule. They're just not willing to say it. Is it frustrating for the president and is that part of the calculation that you're not talk, having him talk about every shooting because of the frequency that these are happening? How do you make the decision of where he goes and which events he talks about because of how much they're so happening right now? In case I'm not clear, it is frustrating for the president. It is frustrating for the first lady. It is frustrating for the vice president. It is frustrating for the second gentleman that there is this gun violence epidemic going on, which is why the president has signed two dozen executive actions to try to do everything that he can from his perch, from, from, the, from the executive, uh, executive uh, perch, to do everything that he can. Okay, but he's not doing everything that he can because he only talks about certain types of shooting, the ones that fit the narrative. When group justice predominates over individual justice, nothing gets done. Solutions are not actually created. Instead, blame is thrown around and political polarization is the next step. In just one second, we'll get to blame being thrown around political polarization surrounding the issue of immigration, where Joe Biden is now vowing that he is not going to allow additional border security down at the border in the midst of a massive immigration wave. It's unbelievable. First, GenuCell is dedicated to helping you find the perfect Mother's Day gift this year. To prove it, they are offering over 70% off their most popular package. Plus, for the first time ever, GenuCell is including both the Ultra Retinol and Dark Spot Corrector with every purchase of their most popular package. 
Don't miss out on this amazing deal just in time for Mother's Day. GenuCell's Ultra Retinol contains a powerful retinol alternative safe to use on your skin in the summer sun. Their dark spot corrector helps reduce the appearance of dark marks and sunspots. You know, I've seen in the comments, folks, you'd think that I am aging like fine wine because I am, and GenuCell is one of those reasons. I've been using their products for almost a decade. If you don't believe me, take a listen to this ad read all the way back in 2014. Well, folks, I got to tell you, I haven't been getting a whole heck of a lot of sleep lately. We've got termites in the house, and I've been doing a fair bit of traveling, and that means I'm waking up super early, and I would normally have the bags and the puffiness under my eyes. Well, that's why I've been using the new GenuCell serum with stem cell technology from Chamonix. Yes, that young, vibrant human is now me. Go to GenuCell.com Shapiro. Save over 70% off GenuCell's most popular package during their Mother's Day sale. Plus, you get a complimentary spot essentials box with every package order from now until Mother's Day. GenuCell will even give you a free upgrade to priority shipping. That's GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Again, GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Also, if you're looking for something interesting to watch, you should check out our brand new series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. So our season one focused on Apollo 11. Season two of What We Saw is now in full swing. This time, Bill paints a bleak picture of the growing existential threat to America due to the Soviet Russians and Cuba. Episode nine details the rise of modern espionage as both the Soviets and the West race to learn each other's secrets. How many warheads does the other side have? How do they work? Where are they located? While they both use different tactics for intelligence gathering, one will lead to the biggest intel hall in the history of the Cold War. Bill makes you feel like you are really there witnessing history. New episodes of Cold War come out every single week, but you have to be a member to see it. Head on over to dailywire.com slash Cold War to start watching. Okay, meanwhile, we have a massive crisis on our southern border. We spoke yesterday on the show with Mark Morgan, former head of Border Patrol under Barack Obama. He says that we are looking at the possibility of almost 5 million illegal immigrants entering the country over the course of the last couple of years. And if we are looking at the current rates, we're talking about millions more entering the country in the very near future. Well, this would be an excellent time for Congress to, you know, allocate a bunch of funding and, and personnel down to the border to curb the illegal immigration, wouldn't it? That'd be like amazing. Unfortunately, Joe Biden has other priorities. So yesterday, Joe Biden announced that he would veto a House bill that aims to restrict asylum, build more border wall, and cut a program that allows migrants a chance to stay in the United States. Republicans are looking to capitalize as immigration trouble surges into a national spotlight this week with the ending of Title 42. You got to love the AP. It's always Republicans seizing and pouncing. GOP lawmakers aim to vote on their Secure the Border Act on Thursday. That is the same day the emergency expulsion powers expire. Officials have already seen an increase in, of migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. They are bracing for far more right now. The legislation represents the GOP's first major immigration policy proposal since the Trump era. It's a 213-page bill. It resurrects a bunch of Donald Trump's policies, like building barriers along hundreds of miles of border country. In some cases, pushes beyond his efforts. It faces strong headwinds from some Republicans representing agricultural areas over E-Verify. But, says Joe Biden, he is going to veto it. The White House Office of Management and Budget said, while we welcome Congress's engagement on meaningful steps to address immigration and the challenges of the border, this bill would make things worse, not better. Because this bill does very little to actually increase border security while doing a great deal to trample on the nation's core values and international obligations. So it should be rejected. What are the core values? Leaving the border wide open? Because that's basically what's happening right now. Essentially, you just line up to get in. And then we give you a date to show up for your asylum hearing. And then you just flee into the interior and you never show up again. This is not particularly difficult. This is, again, why we have almost 5 million people who have entered the country illegally. That's the known gotaways and people who have been entered into the country via catch and release since Joe Biden took office. That has been like two and a half years. It's amazing. The GOP in the House is pairing a border security package with changes in immigration reform rules in an attempt to unite the right. The package is restricting legal pathways for migrants as well, which, again, makes some sense given the downturn in the American economy right now. But Joe Biden, 
he has his priorities. His priorities are apparently maintaining an open border. Now, what's amazing about this is that because no new legislation will be passed, Joe Biden is now relying on basically Trump era policies, all the same policies that he thought were real bad when Donald Trump did them. Now they are good. You know who's noticing this? Even the New York Times is now noticing this. Quote, in his final debate with Donald Trump on October 22nd, 2020, Joe Biden excoriated his rival for radically undermining America's decades long tradition of welcoming people who seek asylum at the country's borders. Biden said this is the first president in the history of the United States that anybody seeking asylum has to do it in another country. But on Thursday, Biden's administration is expected to impose a very similar restriction on asylum seekers by quickly rejecting claims for most people who cross the border but don't seek refuge in Mexico first. So it is a mirror image of Donald Trump's policies. In some cases, admits the New York Times, he has embraced his predecessor's use of aggressive measures aimed at keeping a surge of migrants at bay along the southern border. Now, again, this is the way that the, the, the media coverage is, is always very effective on behalf of Joe Biden. So you just have to understand that kids in cages under Barack Obama, those were fun time play centers. Under Donald Trump, those were concentration camp holdings on par with Stalin or Hitler. And under Joe Biden, they're back to being fun day camps. It is perfectly obvious at this point that Joe Biden has no choice but to implement the same policies that Donald Trump did, unless he wants to see a massive wave. A memo from the Biden-Harris administration says, quote, the Biden-Harris administration plan is rooted in enforcement, but it also entails deterrence and diplomacy with other countries. After being blocked by courts, the administration eventually did end the remain in Mexico policy, but they're now re-implementing re it, basically. So well done by Joe Biden, as always. Meanwhile, this is all necessitating that the governor of Texas activate the National Guard. The federal government is not doing its job. Immigration is a federal government policy and priority. When they don't do their job, states are forced to step into the breach. And that's precisely what's happening in Texas. Right now, as we're speaking, the Texas National Guard is loading Black Hawk helicopters and C-130s, deploying specially trained National Guard members for the Texas Tactical Border Force. They will be deployed to hot spots along the border to intercept, to repel, and to turn back migrants who are trying to enter Texas illegally. And yet Joe Biden thinks this is bad, by the way. The, the Democratic administration is still not happy with the idea that Texas should protect its own border. Abbott went on to point out that ending Title 42 is going to lead to literally millions of illegal immigrants every year. With the Biden administration ending Title 42 this Thursday, President Biden is laying down a welcome mat to people across the entire world saying that the United States border is wide open and it would lead to an incredible amount of people coming across the border illegally. President Biden's open border policies is going to cause a catastrophic disaster in the United States. According to the Biden administration itself, they anticipate about 13,000 people coming across the border illegally every single day. If you extend that out over the course of a year, it means there will be about 4,700,000 people coming across the border a year. According to the El Paso Times, immigrants have already overwhelmed relief shelters. They've been sleeping on the sidewalk downtown. Guard soldiers and troopers from the Texas Department of Public Safety, as part of Abbott's Operation Lone Star, have laid what the governor called miles of concertina wire along open spaces on the Texas side of the International River. So if the federal government won't build a wall, then he'll put down the barbed wire. 
again, the, the fact that, that Joe Biden is basically opening the border and then rejecting any possibility of fixing the border is an astonishing, it's an astonishing thing. It really is. Because again, this administration keeps claiming that they actually care about the border, but they obviously don't. I mean, they're not taking literally any means to stop what amounts to a massive border crossing by the millions. It's an insane thing. Meanwhile, Democrats are focused like a laser beam. They're angry. If you're, if you're in a northern Democrat city where you're receiving lots of illegal immigrants, you're not angry at Joe Biden. You're angry at the people in Texas who won't just bear the entire burden of illegal immigration in their cities. So Lori Lightfoot, the outgoing mayor of Chicago, she says it's inhumane for Greg Abbott to send illegal immigrants to Chicago. Tell us a little bit about what you want from him, but also what more do you need from the federal government while this continues? Look, what Greg Abbott is doing, a man who professes to be a Christian, is absolutely, utterly inhumane. Putting people on buses, treating them like afraid to make a political stunt. And it's no coincidence that he decided to do this at a time when Biden had announced his plans for reelection. He is his ambitions to be the Republican nominee are fading and he's becoming irrelevant. So um, I, I have a question. Why is it unchristian to send people on buses to a place they wish to go? The way it's working in Texas is that Abbott is giving people a choice as to where they wish to be sent. And then he's putting them on buses to go to those places. But apparently he's the real problem. Meanwhile, Karine Jean-Pierre, she says, we can't build any more border wall. We're not going to do any more border security. In fact, Joe Biden would veto all of that. The bill HR2 would be a disaster for border security and a Christmas morning gift for human smugglers. It would lead to more unlawful migration by blocking off lawful pathways to protection. It would trample on our nation's core values and international obligations and a boon to dictators around the world. And instead of providing the needed resources for more border security technology and asylum officers and judges, it would waste taxpayer dollars on an ineffective wall, again, an ineffective wall that can't even withstand heavy winds let alone sophisticated criminal smuggling networks. If the president were presented with H.R. 2, he would veto it. Well, that's the most important thing is vetoing border security measures in the middle of a massive illegal immigration crisis. This administration, they are so good at what they do. I mean, meanwhile, speaking of an administration that's amazing at what they do, Janet Yellen, the, uh, the Treasury Secretary, who is formerly the failed Federal Reserve Chair, uh, she says that she can't rule out a recession. She can't rule it out. She's not probable. But obviously, they've gotten it right all along the way. I mean, they also said that we would never have 40-year highs in inflation. And, uh, and Janet Proudfoot was, was very excited about saying that. So here she was yesterday, uh, directly from her hobbit hole, explaining that we can't rule out a recession. But, but you know, it's not probable. I, I don't believe you, madam. There is a worry that that we might have a perfect storm coming together toward the end of the year of the stimulus finally wearing off, all the lagged impact of Fed tightening and, of course, bank tightening coming at the same time as a result of these these bank failures. So can we really avoid a recession in this economy? Well, I've, I've said and I'll say again, I believe there is a path to bring inflation down in the context of a continued strong labor market. I still think that path is there. But of course, there are risks. The things you cited are all risks and um, can't rule out a recession. But I don't think that's the most likely path. 
Well, I mean, the recession is going to come and then they're going to blame it on the debt ceiling. And it does make you wonder whether Democrats are actively attempting to promote a debt ceiling showdown specifically so they can blame Republicans for the problem. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is that according to the Wall Street Journal, this year, the April budget surplus fell by $135 billion from a year earlier, including adjustments for timing shifts in federal outlays. The decline was $274 billion or 73% from April 2022. This pretends even bigger budget deficits for the rest of the fiscal year. The deficit for the first seven months is already almost a trillion dollars. It's 236% higher than in 2022 with timing adjustments. All this is happening, even though the economy is still growing and the unemployment rate is still low. And the big culprit is spending up 12% in the first seven months or nearly $400 billion. Entitlements are up 11%. Education spending is up 56%, largely owing to those student loan changes, meaning the, the unconstitutional attempt to relieve student loans by the Biden administration. Interest on the national debt has risen 40%. It's already $374 billion for the first seven months. And that is because of those higher interest rates that had to be increased in order to tamp down the inflation. So what does that mean? It means the Biden administration is going to look for some sort of excuse to blame the debt ceiling standoff as the real problem. This is where they're going to put all of their focus at this point, which is, uh, man, you want to talk about ugly politicking? How about subjecting America to a debt ceiling showdown, specifically so you can avoid blame for your own failed economic policies? We'll get to that in one second. First, you could lose sleep over the economy or you could lie down on your Helix sleep mattress and sleep like a baby. They've launched their newest, most high-end collection, Helix Elite. Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for a specific sleep position and firmness preference. I've had my Helix for years. It is basically the only thing that is keeping me functioning at this point. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress because why exactly would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? I took that Helix sleep quiz. I was matched with a firm but breathable mattress, which is exactly what I needed. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. You should take their two-minute sleep quiz. Find the perfect mattress for your body and your sleep type. Your mattress comes directly to your door ship for free. Plus, Helix has that 10-year warranty. You can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. There's really nothing to lose. For a limited time, Helix is currently offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. It's their best offer yet. Hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben with Helix. Better sleep starts right now. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Well, it appears clearer and clearer that Democrats, in anticipation of a recession, are basically going to drive us into one. So they would like a debt ceiling showdown with Republicans. Republicans have asked for extraordinarily moderate cuts. We are talking about cuts to 2022 levels. And then adjustments year over year for the foreseeable future of 1% up. And so we're not talking about cutting to 2005 levels, which was still too high. We are talking about spending at 2022 levels. Okay, and in 2022, the federal government spent, what, $6.27 trillion in 2022. That's a lot of money. But apparently, if you limit it to that, that is really, really bad. Janet Yellen, again, Janet Proudfoot, she says that this Republican proposal includes draconian cuts. These are draconian guys. $6.27 trillion in spending is draconian now. The president set out a detailed budget. Um, in that budget, he invests in America. He cuts wasteful and inefficient spending and um, lowers deficits over 10 years by $3 trillion. But his, and so he and I regard it as a fiscally responsible proposal. Um, the Republicans have very different ideas they want to focus on cutting spending and the proposals that they've set out would entail draconian cuts and um, really end the 
policies we've put in place to invest in our mm -hmm. economy in clean energy. Clean energy? That's the thing that you're worried about them cutting? Wall Street Journal today. The looming size of wind and solar projects draws local ire as they march closer to populated areas. You know how much money the federal government now wants to spend over the next decade on green energy boondoggles? Three trillion dollars. Three trillion. And this is supposed to be a fiscally responsible administration? County-by-county county battles are raging as wind and solar projects balloon in size, edge closer to cities, and encounter mounting pushback in communities from Niagara Falls to the Great Plains and beyond. Projects have slowed. Even in states with a long history of building renewables, developers don't know if they can get local permits or how long it might take. President Biden's signature legislative accomplishment, the Inflation Reduction Act, aims to make the nation's electric grid and fuel industries cleaner. So far, companies have announced plans for $150 billion in investment in renewables and battery storage. But the federal government is going to spend $3 trillion, $3 trillion. And then we're told that this is fiscally responsible by Janet Yellen. And then she lectures us on being a deadbeat country. Okay, there's nothing more galling than people who are just spending more money than has ever been seen in human history, and they are doing it on your credit card. And then when inflation hits, they have to jack up the interest rates, making your savings worth less, telling you that you can't, you guys can't be deadbeats. Don't be deadbeats, guys. You guys are being deadbeats. If you don't just keep funding their out-of-control heroin spending habit, then you're the deadbeat, obviously. Here is Janet Proudfoot explaining. Every option is a bad option. And um, I really don't want to get into discussing them and ranking them because um, as every Treasury secretary has known, the only option that really leaves our economy in good shape is and our financial system is raising the debt ceiling and making clear that Congress stands behind the basic principle that America pays its bills. We're not a deadbeat country. Yeah. You're not paying your bills. You're taking out another credit card. You're paying your bills with somebody else's money. It is amazing. Watching these people gaslight the American people is just astonishing. They're gaslighting you. They're lying to you. Karine Jean-Pierre, she had, this is legitimately one of the most galling clips I have ever seen. So Karine Jean-Pierre is talking about your responsibility to pay your debts. And here she was yesterday explaining that if you buy a car, you pay the monthly payment. Here we go. If you buy a car, you are expected to pay the monthly payments. If you buy a home, you are expected to pay the mortgage every month. That is the expectation. That is the spending that you put forth or spending that you may have done before. And now you're paying it every month. This is spending that they've already done. They've already spent, let's not forget the $2 trillion Trump tax cuts that they were willing and happy to vote for. So we're telling them or saying to them, do your job, pay for something that you've already spent on. You're going to lecture us on paying your debts? She literally in this clip says, you know, if you take out a mortgage, you're expected to pay that more. You guys pushed an eviction moratorium for two years based on COVID. You jackasses suggested that trillion dollars in college loan debt should just disappear and you're lecturing us about paying debts? The actual F what in the world? They're such liars. They're such unbelievable liars. The gaslighting here is astonishing. But the reality is they don't live in the real world. In their magical world, they just keep, they, they spend money and then they spend more money and then they spend even more money. So here, for example, is one of Joe Biden's advisors explaining that the Democrats don't want to choose between default and spending cuts no, no, we shouldn't have to choose ever. We should just keep spending. We shouldn't cut the spending and we shouldn't default. We should just keep spending forever until the end of time. 
Would President Biden rather the U.S. default on its debt obligations and accept a bill that includes any spending cuts? Uh, that's not the situation before us, right, or as we speak. Well, I mean, that, that really is. And good for Jake Tapper for actually asking a tough question of this guy. That would be Bharat Ramamurthy, a deputy director at the National Board of Economic Advisors. Well, it is for this reason, among others, I assume, that Joe Biden just does not want to ever an answer questions from the press. So yesterday, once again, Joe Biden did a presser at which he um, he made a little speech and then he just um, out the door because this is what he does, because this man is not capable of answering serious questions from people because he does not have a functional brain. God bless you all. May God protect our troops. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Catch you later. Everybody's shouting questions at him. He's like, bye. And there's Pete Buttigieg who has become the, the missing man in the Biden administration. By the way, Joe Biden, he, uh, he, he now wants to compensate passengers for delays and cancellations on the airlines. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. They plan new regulations that require airlines to compensate passengers when flight times change drastically due to causes within the carrier's control. Well, I mean, if you actually want to cut costs at the airlines, maybe you should get rid of a, a bunch of the burdensome and insane regulations surrounding safety on the airlines, like going through the the absolutely for show TSA checks. They're absolutely for show and they accomplish nothing, nothing. You know how many weapons have been sneaked through TSA in these various media trials? It's pretty insane. But, you know, that, that's what Joe Biden is focused on, not on answering questions, which presumably is also why the White House press office has now barred the, the New York Post from attending President Biden's only daytime public event on Monday as federal prosecutors near a decision on criminally charging Hunter Biden for tax fraud and other crimes. So here's the way that it now works. By the way, not seeing a huge outcry from the press corps. You know, the people who thought that democracy died in darkness, they have no problem with the White House barring the New York Post from full events because the New York Post had the temerity to actually report on Hunter Biden's criminal activity. The Post has closely covered the president's ties to his relatives' foreign dealings and first reported the Hunter Biden abandoned laptop in October 2020. Biden lied, and then he suggested that that reporting was Russian disinformation. He took no questions at the venue, but he also um, barred the New York Post. Th th that's amazing. There were about 20 empty seats, by the way, for reporters, but the New York Post was not allowed in. In a Monday email, White House staff said, we are unable to accommodate your credential request to attend the Investing in Airline Accountability Remarks on 5-8. The remarks will be live streamed and can be viewed at whitehouse.gov. Thank you for understanding. We'll let you know if a credential becomes available. The email does not claim the exclusion is due to space limitations. Um, that was the excuse normally used to pre-screen all of Joe Biden's questioners. But um, they, they barred the New York Post nonetheless. Because this is a perfectly open and honest administration. The fact that, that Joe Biden openly laughs to the face of journalists about how he doesn't answer questions that he did at the White House Correspondence Center, you remember? He, he actually made a joke about how he gets up and he talks and then he leaves. And all the journalists are scoffing. Ah, ha, 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 ha. He was laughing at you. He was laughing at you. Well, he's going to be laughing until he's crying. Because again, the facts of the matter remain that Joe Biden is doing incredibly poorly in the polls. This prompted the Biden campaign to put out a statement, quote, the president's agenda sent him to the White House in 2020 with more votes than any president in history and helped deliver the best midterm performance since FDR. MAGA Republicans and their extreme agenda remain both dangerous and deeply unpopular, yada, 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 yada. Well, good luck. I mean, seriously, the, the Biden administration refusing to answer any sort of basic questions is just evidence of how weak this, this president is. Republicans can still blow it because they have a real habit of doing so. Um, but uh, Joe Biden is certainly not in strong position going into 2024. Okay, time for some things that I like. So things that I like today. So Evangeline Lilly, who is uh, most famous from Ant-Man and the Wasp and also from Lost, she has now launched an attack on the subversion of traditional gender roles. She shared a post to her Instagram. She said, why are we only applauding masculinity in women and villainizing it in men? 
And why are we only applauding femininity in men and debasing it in women? Why can't we just allow for all of it? Why do we feel the need to vilify a man wearing bleep kicker boots, driving a pickup truck who's not afraid to punch somebody in the face? But if they were a woman, they'd be the epitome of cool. Why is a man who loves makeup, cries easily, and stays home to tend to the domestic responsibilities valiant, but a woman who does the same is pathetic? She urged members of the public to stop trying to juggle the minutia of judgment and bring grace and charity back into their lives. Okay, so she has already been ripped up and down for the great crime of doubting the COVID vaccine. You weren't allowed to do that in Hollywood and, uh, and get away with it without massive blowback. But Evangeline Lilly, good for her, because that, of course, really does sum it up. We are a culture that has decided that masculine women are amazing and effeminate men are amazing, but masculine men are bad and effeminate women are bad. Good for her. Good for Evangeline Lilly. And the fact is that Hollywood relies on these tropes. And when Hollywood gets away from those tropes, people don't like it very much. It turns out, you know what people don't like watching in the movies very much? They don't really like the idea of women who act like men or men who act like women. They prefer it when men act like men in movies and women act like women in movies. In fact, virtually all of Hollywood was built on this particular model. This doesn't mean that effeminate men don't exist or that masculine women don't exist. Of course they do. But the fact that, that this has now become a matter of contention, she, 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 by the way, is not even suggesting that it is a matter of superiority. I will. I will say that it is better to be a masculine man than to be an effeminate man because one of the qualities of manhood is to be like a man. Manhood in this iteration doesn't mean like you work out 24 hours a day, although you should try to keep yourself in good shape. Manhood means creating a family, protecting and defending your wife and children, providing for that wife and children in a responsible way, building up and defending your community, right? That would be a masculine. These are masculine qualities and men are better when they do these things. When I say a feminine woman, the idea of a feminine woman is a woman who nurtures and comforts, who takes care of her husband and her family and her children, who helps to create the social fabric that binds communities. People are better and communities are better for all of these things. And when you reverse the gender roles, it may work in extraordinary incidents, but overall, you're better off with a society of masculine men and feminine women. So I'll say that, it's, that that is a superior society because it is. It turns out the qualities that are associated with femininity, if they are adopted wholesale by men, are not wonderful. And the qualities associated with masculinity, if adopted wholesale by women, are also not wonderful. In fact, when you see these sorts of these boundaries blurred, what you end up with is um, some odd and off-putting behavior, namely toxic masculinity masquerading as femininity. So, for example, there's a tape that emerged yesterday of a transgender Starbucks employee screaming at a customer. I got to say, this does not seem like particularly feminine behavior, but it is a man masquerading as a woman. We are, but this is the new ideal in America. Don't ever call me transphobic. Ever. You do not know me. You're, you're being ever. transphobic, Karen. Do not call me transphobic. You are. Is a transgender woman, meaning a man pretending to be a woman, yelling at a woman, calling her transphobic. And uh, there's someone filming outside. This is a uh, this is a man with a very deep voice telling a woman that she that she is transphobic, and then here comes the uh, transgender the transgender woman, meaning the man is going to come over and slap the phone out of somebody's hand. Not particularly feminine behavior. Turns out that blurring the boundaries not always the best thing, folks. Well, good for Evangeline Lilly for uh, for sounding off on this. We'd be a better society if more people did. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. All right, so the children's show Bluey, which is the biggest YouTube channel. It is, it is the most viewed show on all of YouTube, Bluey. Now, Bluey is apparently in trouble. Why? 
Well, because it's the center of a of a row, according to Deadline Hollywood, after ABC and BBC Studios edited an episode to address concerns about fat shaming. It was a season three episode. It was titled Exercise, and it featured Bluey's father, Bandit, embarking on a fitness regime after he stands on the bathroom scales and grabs his paunch. Here is what it looked like. Oh, man. What? <laughs> Bluey. Why did you say, oh, man? Uh, I just need to do some exercise. Tell me about it. Mm. <sighs> oh, <laughs> found you. Why don't you just do some exercise? Same old reason, Bluey. You kids and work. Okay, so apparently that right there is terrible. That's terrible. No man has ever looked at his weight on the scale and thought, man, I need to do some exercise. And it's bad if you tell men to do exercise if they are paunchy. Very, very bad. And this is insane. Okay, the fact that they had to edit this, they didn't have to. They're just cowards. ABC said, quote, the recent episode of Bluey Exercise has been republished by ABC following a decision by the makers of the program. The new version provides families with the opportunity to manage important conversations in their own way. So they have now updated and they've created a revised version. That is insane. I'm sorry, that, that is maybe the least offensive thing I've ever seen on a children's show. Is a dad going to the scale. This is pretty much me every morning with my kids, by the way. It's like, I get on the scale, I'm like, God, daddy's a fatso. Dad needs to go exercise. Like, what is wrong with that? Is there something deeply wrong? With Apparently, there's something deeply wrong with that. And we are an oversensitive idiot society. So I guess that we have to, uh, we have to ban that sort of thing. for ch- Teach the children they can be a member of the opposite sex. Yes. Teach kids that sometimes daddy and mommy need to lose a little weight. Very bad. Too judgmental. Terrible. Okay, well, speaking of a terrible parenting, story from page six today. And I got to say, this, this Darwinian genetic bottleneck that we have hit in Hollywood is amazing. I mean, I've never, I've never seen anything remotely like it. You know, the, the natural selection mechanism never accounted for the idea that there would be a group of people who apparently are, uh, are involved in a genetic bottleneck so that all of their children are queer. All of them. And that's that's strange that Darwinian evolution would then produce an entire generation of people who are predominantly attracted to people not of the opposite sex and therefore incapable of natural procreation. Weird that Darwin would do that. Weird that natural selection would work that way. I mean, it's never worked that way anywhere in the animal kingdom or literally anywhere else on Earth. But that's how it's now working. Marsha Gay Harden has now revealed that all of her children are queer and they teach her every day. The Oscar winner, 63, felt compelled to share the revelation during the Drag Isn't Dangerous, a digital fundraiser live telethon. Over the weekend, she said, what drives me is because it's right. And what's happening right now is wrong. What drives me is my children are all queer, all of them. Well, I, might that have something to do with the parenting, with the environment in which the kids grew up? Or were they like, it was like Spider-Man. They were basically bitten by the radioactive queer spider and all of them turned queer. Like what, what, what exactly happened here? What was the genetic bottleneck that led to this? Did you just reproduce with a dude? And for some reason, it was like the recessive recession gene just kept hitting and everybody ended up queer. Is that what happened here, according to you? It's like a DC comic where you're all messing around. You're like the vat of toxic chemicals. You fell in and everybody emerged. Like, what exactly is the story that leads all of your children, not one, not two, all of them to be queer? My eldest child is non-binary. My son is gay. My youngest is fluid, she continued. And you know, they are my kids. They teach me every day. Um, That's... That's strange. Or alternatively, or alternatively, actually, you are just parenting in a particular way and that has an impact on your kids. I know, shocking. But uh, we're, we're supposed to believe this is all, the reason, by the way, that the biology argument is so fundamental to the LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign notion is because if anybody ever acknowledged the reality 
which is that all human behavior is a combination of biological inclination and environment. And when you have an outside social contagion that is defining people's gender identity and sexuality in new and shocking ways, in huge percentages, if everybody, if anybody ever acknowledged that, then they might have to come to grips with the fact that the social pool in which we all swim has an impact on kids. And then we might all have a say in how that social pool actually is, is created and what sort of chemicals are put in the social pool. Because the basic idea of LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign until very recently was it doesn't matter what we do in society. A certain percentage of people are just naturally going to be LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign. And so we can do whatever we want. If we, if we just spice the water with all sorts of propagandistic social experimentation, it won't have any impact on the kids because it's all biological. But if it turns out that, that pool actually has some impact on the kids, then maybe society does have something to say about drag queen story hour being read to five year olds. Maybe, maybe. I, this feels like this family feels like pretty good evidence that environment has something to do with something here. She encouraged her followers to support the community, quote, our nation, our leaders, our children, artists, our singers, our dancers, our better leaders, CEOs, writers, spiritual leaders, basically our humanity. Gay is here to stay. Drag is here to stay. Donate what you can. Join us in spreading the love. Uh, how nice. It, um, again. We are, we are reaching new heights in, uh, in human evolution, just biological human evolution that has nothing to do with the environment we've created for the next generation. All righty, guys. The rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. 12-time NCAA All-American swimmer Riley Gaines will be on the show to discuss her experiences being excised from the good graces of society for mentioning that she shouldn't have to race against giant dudes. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click the link in the description and join us.